Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Classic rock band Three Dog Night rocks the Birchmere this weekend in Alexandria, Virginia. I spoke with founder and lead singer Danny Hutton about the band's biggest hits from Joy to the World to Mama Told Me. Hey, Danny, thanks so much for joining us on WTOP. Well, you're welcome. And I, I love it here. We're in Annapolis, and it's just gorgeous uh and it, it, it it's it's very happening i was very surprised this is we usually come in the back door of this place we're playing and i never realized <laughs> we see it in the hotel the front of it is i mean it's a beautiful little area right because you're playing ram's head uh annapolis and yeah, then yeah and then and then small. saturday you're playing the birchmere yeah we're playing the birchmere probably anybody that's coming to it as my favorite food favorite kitchen a soul food it's wonderful and Backstage, it's just full. When you when you walk down the hall, it's about every artist that I love uh, has played here. Oh yeah, all the pictures on the wall. That that's what makes yeah. it so cool is all the history. Yeah. I well, you know what? Like Randy Newman is playing a gig. You know, it's got to be interesting because Randy is a uh, I I I mean, it's the best way. He's a curmudgeon. You better have it right or. He's going to give you his wrath. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas with you, it's 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 a different story. <laughs> well, well, you know, we're, we're we're really loose. A lot a lot of groups have you know four tour buses, and they all they all tra- travel separately, and uh, all of that stuff. And they all have different rooms. They don't talk to each other. And we we uh, we're we're everybody gets along great. There's no prima donnas. Uh, and even when we do symphony shows with Larry Baird, you know, who's to conduct the Moody Blues, uh, he would he would change in our dressing room too. We all just would hang together. So uh, it, it's you know I've been doing this uh, over 50 years with this band, and uh, this is the this is a great bunch of guys. Everybody, uh, especially after the pandemic, uh, everybody we'd leave the stage and all do high fives, and it's like I feel like a young bunch of guys. It's cool. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I mean, you brought it up. Speaking of the pandemic, I know, gosh, this these shows, um, I've been wanting to cover these shows for, for, for over a year now. It keeps getting rescheduled. So how, how exciting is it finally to, to finally get back on the road? Like, I guess, where are you in your in your tour? Like, when did you guys finally start touring again? Uh, you know, we, we did this bizarre thing about three or four months into it where we, uh, we did one of those drive-in things with a bunch of cars oh, yeah. and stuff. And I didn't, I didn't like it because you, no one allowed backstage. Then it was really strict. No one allowed backstage. You wear a mask. And then we get on stage, and you're you're playing to a bunch of cars. It was almost like Brave New World or something. And uh, <laughs> you know, the applause were honks, but from the cars. And uh, everybody had most of the people had these small cars, so you had these little high. <laughs> I was, I wanted like a. I wanted a couple of trucks, you know, with those big, you know, like uh, in hockey where they have this big low baritone. Uh, like a foghorn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, it, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't like it. Uh, I mean, I love that that the people came to see it, but it was, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't work. Uh, and then uh, we did one casino in, in Michigan somewhere. It was an Indian casino. So I don't know if they had some kind of a thing where. They had a little get-around thing, but they all wore masks and stuff like that, and and that worked. All right, everybody's six feet apart, but now all the gigs we've been doing, everybody is just it's it's we've sold out all the shows, 
and everybody is just there like they'll you know good old rock and roll shows they're still strict no meet and greets afterwards and all that stuff but uh it's wonderful and for me uh i had a year and after i did that uh, uh, the motor show uh i hadn't i hadn't sung for like a couple of months and it, it it frightened me vocally because I I made it through, but I just made it through fine. And I get back and I said, "The hell with this! I'm going to sing every day." So two hours a day, I sing every day, and my voice I think is better than it's ever been. You know, we have never lowered the keys on the songs, but I was a baritone. Now I, now I sing above high C which, you know, that's the big note for an opera singer uh, to hit at the end of the thing, a full voice, full chest voice, no, no falsetto stuff. So it's been a, it's been a great gift for me on, on that level. Well, yeah, that, that's such a great point. You know, I've, I've interviewed a bunch of musicians about, you know, how they were bored at home or, or you know, the, just the adapting to pandemic life. But I never even really thought about the you you sort of lose the muscle memory on the voice pipes there. That's a good point. That you that so you you were just singing around ha- the house for two, two like in the shower for two hours or around the oh, house. No, or? no, 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 no. In the living room, my, my wife has horses and she she's a, you know works at a charity hospital for kids and stuff. So I'd be alone and I'd just be I'd be in the living room and with my guitar and all that stuff. And the difference is I've I've had about forty five forty eight years of singing. Uh, like the, whatever I sang on the record. And I just sat there and I started, you know, getting into doing riffs and changing stuff, and my, which I never, ever, ever had done. And I'm having so much fun now. Every night I, I come out to sing, but I, you know, I now I can experiment because I did it at home and I went, oop, that's, that won't work. <laughs> And I just, I just feel wonderful about that. So it, that that part of it is great. Yeah, well, I'm glad you were practicing while you were sidelined, so that we can hear the hear you in full force uh, out at, at you know at the Birchmere. I don't think they will be letting cars drive in to, inside the Birchmere to honk at you. I no, think you no. can hear some live live cheers. <laughs> yeah, but the, uh, uh, we we just uh, uh, we just finished almost a whole new album. This is insane. This is since 1977, a complete new album. And, uh, you know, we used to always get nailed because, uh, oh, yeah, those guys, they don't write their own songs. And, you know, I was a writer. That's what a writer, producer, up to 1965, and uh, Hanna-Barbera. I was on five labels as a solo act. And that's awesome. Right. all I did was write and stuff like that. So we got nailed on it. The, the new album, I, I've written six songs. And as you know, uh, following the, the hits we had, you can't just throw songs out. I, I know so many good musicians that release albums, and they're, they're basically musical exercises. It, it all comes down to the song. If you don't have the song, you just have a beautiful bunch of guys playing. And they're great musicians, but that's that's not going to cut it necessarily, you know. At least for me. Uh, and uh, so it's it's been a, it, this album is is. Uh, I'm I'm just so happy. We can't wait to get it out. It's it's like a, it's you know genre wise, uh, we've been on about every musical charts except as I always joke when we say the jazz charts. But you know pop charts, rock charts, uh, country charts. Number one on the R&B charts. Went to England, Abbey Road Studios, where the Beatles recorded uh, with the London. We recorded the London Symphony Orchestra. So. Uh, you know, we've been doing it. There's no rookies in the band, you know. Uh, so uh, everybody, everybody knows how to do it. Uh, you know, from ballad to uh, funky R&B. So uh, I, I, you know, I, I feel there's a lot of critics. You know, whatever they have, uh, they got their own thing going in their head. But uh, we're we're still doing it after all this time. And we have a new song. One of the new songs on the album. I don't want to even say. We didn't know what to do with it because we've never done it before, anything like it. And we finally stuck it in the encore. And you know what that's like to put, you know, we are 21 top 40 consecutive hits, oh, yeah. uh, which is pretty crazy. And we put it in as on a, one of the encore songs. If we get the encore, it gets a standing ovation every night. It's a, It blew our minds. So, 
that will be the surprise for people. So uh, I'm 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 thrilled with the band. Yeah, you must be doing something right if they if they're thrilled at that new song in the encore every time. Um, um, so you mentioned you mentioned you know your your early days Hanna Barbera Records and all that before yeah. Three Dog Night. I, whenever I have someone like you on, I want to know sort of how you got into it to start with, because you were born in in Ireland, but obviously Three Dog Night formed in in um, in Los Angeles. I, so yeah, how did that how did that jump actually happen? Well, like what brought you, you to there? the states is my question. Oh, 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 well, my mother, you know, my mother, they had a usual Irish thing going to Boston, but she was the last. She was the baby, and she took care of uh, she took care of her mother, so she finally came over. I lived in lived in Boston from uh, five five to twelve, uh, and then my mother. Uh, I, I know you can edit all that stuff, but uh, you're probably too young to to remember the Brinks robbery in Boston. It was the biggest robbery in history at the time. Uh, uh, I think uh, Freakin Freakin did a movie on it, and my mother was the landlady uh, that that had a had a trigger. She had a finger. A guy named Trigger Burke. So we had police protection for six months because he escaped from jail dressed as a woman, <laughs> uh, and he was finally uh, uh, caught and electrocuted. But anyway, so you're talking so about had, the Brink, the Brinks job. It was a William Friedkin yeah. movie in '78. Like a little yeah. bit because he did the French yeah. Connection and the Exorcist, and then a, I think yeah. Sorcerer, and then he did the Brinks job. Oh, that's right. You were the savant. I forgot. <laughs> anyway, oh, you, someone yeah. googled me. <laughs> Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, it was it was crazy. Uh, so uh, my mother had a this Mr. Maloney uh, lived on the top floor, and and I used to sit out on on the steps with him, and uh, he was telling me he was a ranger in the Second World War and all this stuff. He was a real sweet guy to me, mm-hmm. and uh, then 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 uh, the police came and knocked on the door and said, "Will you, Mrs. Hutt, come downtown and identify him?" And my mother went down. And she, she went, she went. Oh, Mr. Maloney, and he went. Oh, Mrs. Hutt, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so sorry. And he said he would never, he would never hurt a civilian. So what? What he did is they hired this guy Trigger Burke, as, uh, an assassin. To uh, the, the Specs O'Keefe was one of the guys that did the robbery, and. Uh, um, and they all decided after the robbery, they get the money, hide it, and then lay low for a year. He went around the bars and started bragging about it. So they went, we got to get rid of this guy. So they hired Trigger Burke. Trigger Burke comes, stays at upstairs in the, one of the, you know, one of the rooms. And he went and he he chased him, caught him. He might have shot him in the leg or whatever, but he escaped and. But Trigger Burke was wanted for murder anyway, for shooting a guy and a bartender in the face because he was, you know, that insane stuff. Wow. Uh, so uh, about six months later, uh, uh, I, I'm coming home from a movie, uh, 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 the Donald Connor. What was that? The movie, she's an ambassador in color, a musical, you, you, uh, whatever it was. Came home and my mother Did said, Donald that. O'Connor? I, well, I was uh, Ethel Merman. Uh, mm-hmm. She was like, uh, anyway, so uh, I get home, and she didn't say we're going to L.A. She said, honey, we're going to Hollywood. <laughs> so uh, uh, a week later, we just took the train from uh, Boston, sitting up in the car, you know, uh, to uh, uh, arrive in, in L.A., and that was, that's, I arrived in L.A. when I was about 12. Uh, and that was uh, I, I grew up basically in Hollywood, you know, when I, I was at Music City, uh, uh, Wallach's Music City, a sunset, sunset and vine. And they had those listening booths in those days. I don't know if you, you know, you're a young guy, so a lot of listeners might not know, but they had little booths. You could go on, you could get a you could get a 78 or 45, go to the booth and play the song, uh, you could, they'll let you go on two times, and <laughs> I, I, I'm in a booth, and and it's right on the street, and and, and Fred Astaire walks by. Whoa! Uh, no oh, way! Oh yeah! And and two doors down, uh, uh, Dean Martin's Taylor had a had a place, you know, with a high collar. I mean, I'm talking about the old Hollywood. And then I I go to I went 
I was a Catholic kid, so my mother sent me to grammar school. Uh, and uh, on Sunday, I'd go and I'd always stand way. In, I would stand in the back, you know, not not in the pews. We had all the cool people sitting in the back. Liberace and his friend uh, Spike Jones. Oh my gosh. Uh, uh, Danny Terranova, which is crazy, he was an extra in uh, in uh, 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 Jailhouse, not Jailhouse Rock, you know, uh, 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 Glenn Ford in uh, uh, Blackboard Jungle. Mm-hmm. The guy, the guy that stuck the the, uh, the American flag into this the other guy in, in one of the scenes. But that was, <laughs> I grew up kind of with all of this old Hollywood stuff, you know, James Frawley walking down the street on Hollywood Boulevard, little Angie, wow. the little, little Angie, the midget in some of the horror movies. He used to, he, he had a little newspaper stand and, uh, you know, he's in movies, but he was, he was still in the quarter, uh, hawking newspapers. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, it was, it was, you know, it was wonderful, but you can't, you can't, uh, you can't tell people, Young people don't don't you know a lot of them don't uh, you know have that. Well, I shouldn't say that, but a lot of them don't understand the history. Oh, I, I'm I'm eating it all up. So there you are watching <laughs> you're watching Donald O'Connor and Ethel Merman, and I guess it's probably Call Me Madam. And then you move to L.A. and all and all of a sudden oh, Call me, me Madam, yeah, yeah. yeah and then all did, and then did. all of a sudden Fred Astaire walks by. So you're like, oh my gosh, all these stars I was watching on screen in Boston. Now I'm now I'm living with them. <laughs> well, I, I, I'll, I'll give you I'll, I'll give you a good one, and this is the truth, and you can look it up. So okay, Spex O'Keefe, Spex O'Keefe, you know the guy that they were after. I guess he did state's evidence or whatever. So uh, they got off, and then my my cousin sends me sends me this thing that this guy that worked for, with the FBI he died, but then he talked about it. Spex O'Keefe was ended up in L.A. Right, the guy that Trigger Burke tried to kill. Okay, ended up being Cary Grant's chauffeur. No way! I'm not kidding you. <laughs> How is that? Is that a movie right there? Yeah, you should yeah. have wrote that one. <laughs> uh, I know. I'm I, I'm serious. And I was just blown away. Cary Grant, you know, people say, you know, if you had things to do over again, what would you, what you've done? And I said, I would have dressed like Cary Grant. (laughs) He had the life. (laughs) No, but you know that he was, he was, he was, I wouldn't say cheapskate, but he was, you know, he was very thrifty. And as far as I know, he made a deal with all, all the movies that he would supply his own wardrobe. So he would buy the suits and charge them and all that stuff. But every movie I've seen, almost every movie I've seen with him, when you look at what he's wearing, he could walk into a party now and still be current. You know, not current, current in, in that sense, uh, but style. He oh, heads, style. heads would turn. Heads would turn. They'd be like, who's that? Yeah. Well, you know, fa- fashion, which goes out, you know, you could. 80s 80s uh, pads in your uh, women under you know shoulder uh, pads everything yeah shoulder pads everything changes uh, but uh, anyway I, I, I'm rambling sorry no are you um, you're preaching to the choir I love I love all the movie references <laughs> but um, oh but I yeah, know our listeners are you. go ahead uh, obviously there's different ones but almost I'm old enough I think 1939. The, the movies that came out that year were just amazing. I, was it? I forget what was it. Gone with the Wind. Oh, oh, it was. It is one of the best years. It was. I'm trying to think off time. It was the Gone, Gone, of, with, Wizard, Gone with the Wind, Wizard of Oz, John Ford Stagecoach. You had Wuthering Heights. Um, and my my Mr. Favorite, Smith goes how, to Washington. How green was my valley? Oh uh, yeah. Well, that, that so that uh, was forty one. That was two years later. Oh 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 oh. oh, oh I did, that I beat realize. Citizen Kane. That beat Citizen Kane in forty one. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, that, but thirty nine. I can't already, watch it. It makes me cry when I see how green is my valley. It's, it's so weird. Uh, oh, by the way, did you know that was out? We, we interviewed Alex Trebek the other a couple years ago before he passed, and that was his favorite movie. He said so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm Irish, yeah. so I you know that coal miner when the dad you know. 
Oh, absolutely. Oh my God. Yeah. So yeah, that, and what I guess later he did, he, Ford went back and did, and did, uh, the quiet man. So yeah, all those Ireland, Irish movies probably really speak to you. Um, yeah. Also, cool. I was, I was, I was an extra in mad, mad world. Uh, Whoa. Tell me uh, about that experience really quick. Oh, oh, you know, I, I it just went down a couple of days and, and it was, it was a scene in the park, you know, it was just a crowd and get a free lunch and I forget how much. And it was a thing with Mickey Rooney outside on the building, a whole, you know, going mm-hmm. on a fire escape. I don't remember the exact scene, but, uh, yeah. Uh, when, when I, my brother was a printer. So, uh, uh, I knew this guy named Earl Leaf and he did all the gossip columns for the movies. My mother, I lived in Beechwood Canyon at the time. It's actually, we still have the, one of the, one of our houses up there and uh she worked at a, at a diner called harry's diner on franklin and everybody used to come in uh and earl would come in and he did you know he did a little blurb so danny had i forget what the hell it was but uh uh, <laughs> uh he did the beach boys and all all these different things it was just uh just a uh strange strange anyway red red uh who uh who uh uh, the one of one of Elvis's guys, you know, he had the five or six guys, Red, whatever his name was. So I, I got a I got a kitten from Elvis Presley. So it's and uh, you wanted <laughs> Shelly Fabrice, you know who she was, mm-hmm. the Donna Reed show. So sure. I now I'm washing dishes at Harry's, and uh, I end up I, I, I buy a Jaguar for nine hundred dollars in nineteen fifty. At that time, just an old, you know, it was an old car, but it was cool looking. And I took her to a, I took her to a football game uh, uh, at my high school, and that was crazy. Patty McCormick, I, you know, from the Bad Seed, I dated her, and I, I had nothing. I had no money. I don't know. So I'm a Hollywood guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm love. I'm loving all this uh, old Hollywood history for sure. Um, but I know my listeners will kill me if we don't talk a little bit of music before we run. So, oh, yeah, remind, yeah, yeah. remind me how the Three Dog Night, um, how the band came came together? Because weren't you originally you were called something else like Redwood or something? And how, how did you guys decide? Well, a, how did you meet all the the band members? Um, and 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 b, okay. like, how, how'd you come up with that name? All right, so I'm at Hanna Barbera, and my I was like the young guy they hired that supposedly had all had his ears to the ground, and knew all the groups. So I I would write, uh, play all the instruments like drums. I would just slap on a, a leather a, a leather chair. I mean that kind of stuff. I was no I was an okay guitar player, but I would slow the track down, play the parts, and then speed the track back up. Like what's his name in uh, Fleetwood Mac. Uh, you know, all these little tricks, not that I was brilliant, but I was desperate. <laughs> so I right, made right. all these records. And then I, then I, I, I made this, I wrote the song, I, I, this song called Roses and Rainbows. And, uh, uh, after I, I did it, they went, we're going to release that as a single. And I said, I'm a, I'm a studio guy, you know, studio rat. I, that's not my thing. I, I'm not entertainer. You know, all these groups to go out and they, they play four sets a night and they get in the van and they drive. I didn't do any of that stuff. I was just a studio guy and they went, we're going to release it. On top of that, we're going we're introducing Pebbles and Bam Bam, these little two figures. So we're going to put you into that segment singing your song on TV with Fred, with them watching you. And then a, <laughs> with a, the a Beatles, Beatles type, Beatles type manager comes in and sees me on TV and whatever. So then they booked me on a Sonny and Cher tour and as a solo act, and I wasn't a performer. I went, what the hell am I going to do? So Sonny Cher, I got you, baby. You know, I did the number one song. And, uh, the first night it's 5,000 people and I got there with a the guitar and I said, my knees are shaking. I said, I'm either going to faint or I'll get through it. And I, I got through it. So uh, we, I did a couple of weeks on one of those Dick Clark kind of things. And Len Barry was on, was on the tour. And during the tour, his record one, two, three turned into number one. And Sonny sure. I don't know how happy they were about that, but, uh, <laughs> Uh, that was the start, but the opening act was a group called the Enemies, and there was a guy in the group, uh, the lead singer Corey. Uh, 
great blues singer and I went, oh my God. So uh, uh, I got to be friends with him. Another guy, the, the Changing Times, Artie Kornfeld, uh, these two guys, and, and one of them ended up uh, doing uh, doing the Woodstock, putting the Woodstock thing together. So uh, I got back in town and uh, Corey asked me to come over and Tom Wilson, the producer for uh, uh, for I don't know if he did Dylan. He did, uh, 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 I forget who else he did, but he was the happening producer. So I helped produce Corey, and I just said in my head, this guy, later, I want to I want to work with him. I don't know if the producer did whatever. Uh, then I then I had I had a I had I had three regional hits. You know, L.A. They were a couple of them did well, uh, and then I got cold. Then my manager at the time went to MGM Records. Uh, then he, he called me and then Zappa and Frank. So Frank, Zappa, and I went to, uh, to uh, over there to MGM. And uh, then I did, I think I got a top 20 record in L.A. on that, what funny love could be. Then, uh, he, then he ended up... Uh, uh, heading pres- uh, 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 Brother Records, the Beach Boys company. So uh, then uh, he says, come on up. I want you to meet Brian Wilson. I went up to Brian's house and he played me a Sloop John B. And I, I loved the Beach Boys, but I never, I didn't, I didn't get it until I went up and he played me a part of the Pet Sounds album. And I just thought, oh my God. So I was there during that whole time that he did Pet Sounds, you know, God Only Knows, which is, I think, McCarthy's favorite song yeah. of all time. I was there. I was there for watching it. Wouldn't it be Wait, nice? you were in studio watching him record it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I was there at his house all the time. Wow. Uh, we became best. I was his best man at his last wedding. Wow. Uh, uh, so... Uh, He's lovely. My son uh, taught his uh, uh, his girls, uh, you know, gave her, gave them drum lessons and stuff. I mean, he's he's my one of my best friends. So uh, anyway, then I, I, I'm you know I'm not doing anything really except uh, learning from Brian Wilson, who's the best, who's one of the few geniuses. You know, everybody throws that word around, and he is he is a genius. He really in is. every sense of the word, absolutely. Uh, and he's sweet. He's a sweetheart. He he doesn't have a bad bone in his body. So uh, anyway, I, I I brought him up. By this time, he's he's bought uh, the Edgar Rice Burroughs house in Bel Air, and he he paints it purple. And uh, actually, I brought, I brought Elton up there later. Uh, so uh, so uh, he's. We said Elton big, Elton John. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I knew Elton when he was Reggie. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When the first time he came to L.A., uh, I helped him to get the gig at the Troubadour. Uh, we took him to uh, uh, the Black Rabbit uh, uh, for his first dinner. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I I don't know how this all happens. <laughs> you were a front row seat for everybody. All oh, these stars, oh I was there. Music. I was there. Uh, yeah. So anyway, we go to uh, we go and uh, uh, and Brian says I wrote this song for you called Darling because you say Darling a lot. And uh, he says I got to we'll call you Redwood. Uh, and uh, uh, so we we did the tracks. We had the, we had the bass player from Motown, uh, Brian on piano. We called in other musicians. So we we do the tracks. Beach Boys come back from tour. And and uh, Mike Love says, well, "Hey, that song we did, we, you know, we did uh, we did the rough vocals on it." And he says, "That's a hit." And he was right. I mean, to this day, I would have done what he did. He went, "What are you doing with these guys? We <laughs> that's our song." They took our voices off, put Carl's on, and it became it was a hit song called "Darling." You can check it out. Mm. But that 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 was. That was that was me singing the, the lead, but he probably did it better. Who knows? Anyway, then our <laughs> managers, our manager said, "Look, you guys don't want to be like three guys uh, that you know go in and and have the wrecking crew, all these other guys playing. You should be a band." 
So we went and got a band together. And uh, then uh, we got a call from the manager. said, you know, after I know the Troubadour, I knew Doug, Doug Weston, the owner. And they said, come in the afternoon. And we went there. And a couple of record companies were there. And and we we played our set. And the set was, you know, we're just getting together. Uh, and it was a, a lot of backside songs that people didn't really know by art. You know, like Harry Nielsen, I had his album out. Uh, six, eight months before, and it, it did okay. It didn't do that well, but it had one on it. So we we got it, and I think we're really good at arranging, so we changed stuff up. But then we finished, and then they called us over, ABC Dunhill, and, and uh, uh, the president said, I love it. What a, I want to sign you guys. Next week, go on and record. We said, we don't, we don't have any sounds yet. He said, no, what you just played your first album. We went, wow. what? Uh, and that was that was that was a, the start of that. And then how did you how did you switch the name from Redwood to Three Dog Night? Isn't that like an old phrase oh, no, about no. being well, a cold okay. night in the outback or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was in my house. We, uh, uh, on a Friday, our manager said we tried some other other crazy names, uh, and our manager said, "Please, Monday, come back and have the name something <laughs> you're going to stick with." So we put down, we had about 50 names, and we all finally voted on uh, Three Dog Night. You know, the, the number three, uh, uh, vis- you know, it was visual, the nouns, uh, and it, it had nothing to do with music, but we liked the sound. I used to get this magazine called Mankind, and they had an article on the, the Aborigines in Australia. Uh, you know, they did the walkabout, they send the kids out at 18 or 19, and uh for X amount of days and without any, without anything. And they would have to survive. Uh, and they would, they would let them have the dogs with them. And then the dogs, they uses, you know, they didn't really, they didn't build anything. So they would, you know, get in the area and they would use the dogs. So cold night, they, they sleep with more dogs, but it has nothing, <laughs> nothing to do with, uh, with, uh, the, the music. But uh, except it's uh, catchy you know, as hell. Oh, so so our manager would go back my day and we tell him the name. And he said, "You want a, you want a name with dog in it?" And it, it's funny now you think about how how dog is used all the time. Hey, dog. Oh, Snoop Dog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. But back then, uh, you guys were, yeah, you were ahead of the curve on the dog name. <laughs> well, yeah, but you think about the zombies and yeah, all these other crazy yeah. names. But after you get used to them, you don't think of that word. You think of the group. You think uh, of it as its own new entity. It's a three-dog yeah. night. It's its own thing. Yep, yep. Yeah, well, it's, then it's the group. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Well, um, if you have a if you have a little time, I'd love to hear about the creation of some of your 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 you know your biggest hits. So, like, Mama told me not to come. That was on your third album. But how did how did you guys come up with that one? Well, you know, I, we have different stories, but uh, you know, tell me your you, version. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is it? It's it's his version, my version, and then there's a the truth. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, what what one of the members of the band says that that he that he heard it he heard it in a bin you know one of those things and it was like you couldn't have heard it in a bin it hadn't been released yet right. uh, I think I think Eric Clapton did it first on some album but we we had no idea about that and uh, then I think it was Eric, Eric Burden I mean Eric Burden I'm sorry yeah, you, yeah. oh uh, oh I better watch what they say you got it down. No, but okay. uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. Then uh, of the of the animals, Eric Burton, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, I, you know, uh, uh, then I I heard the demo, and it was like an odd oddball kind of thing. I was not really into it at first, and then we, uh, it, 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 I must admit, Corey would kind of said, "Yeah, let's do it." I think he did it with his band, kind of a thing. So uh, uh, it was our third album, right? Was it? Yep, third. Okay, yeah. So uh, finally, we started. Uh, we got in the studio. We got in rehearsal and started playing it. And then we we did our thing on it. And I went, yeah, damn, this thing works great. Uh, 
so by the uh, I remember the uh, the the record company president kind of came down uh, when we were kind of almost done with that particular song, and he he just said that's a hit, and we went whoa, all right we'll go with that. So th- that's how that happened. But I was a little reluctant uh, when I heard the demo, but. Once we were in the, once we were, you know, in the studio, uh, it's one of those things where uh, the three guys and uh, I'm an okay singer. The, the other guys are great because my my old feeling is be be the guy that makes the phone call uh, to the other guy to whoever it is and say, would you like to join my thing? <laughs> so uh, I always think uh, hire people that are better than you around you uh you don't want you know be 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 people hire c people because they all always want to be better uh, a people ha- hire a people you don't they don't care about you want just the best of the best don't worry about the politics uh so uh that's you know that's that's how we that's how we work so uh that song just uh, worked, you know. Oh, absolutely! You surround yourself with the best, and out came Mama told me not to come. Oh, well, uh, yeah, but all all of them, you know, all of all those of songs. them, yeah. Well, yeah, t- take, I, me in, I, take me into joy, joy to the world. I mean, that is one man. That my I, own, I just smile thinking of my father playing that song. With where do you come up with the idea of a bullfrog named Jeremiah? Like that's one of the most bizarre opening out of the gate lines. But that song is just an all time. For me, it should it should have been called that because "Joy to the World" is a Christmas song, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like, what are you thinking? Uh, so. We have our management agency, so they they, uh, they bring out. We go on tour and they bring out an opening act. Hoyt Axon is the guy with a guitar, big, huge guy, uh, uh, and he's got this big baritone voice. So uh, our guitar player went to it, and we became friends with. He was our bodyguard. Uh, he had a big Cadillac, and we had, you know, we had that. We had our bus, and. Uh, We'd do gigs. He would just follow in his car. And, and, and you, you, then you go to Texas, uh, and they were, this is, you know, 68, 69, and they're doing a, they're doing a long hair. Are you a boy or girl kind of crap? Right. Uh, and, we, and we have a black drummer, right? So we'd go to a club, and, you know, the doorman would, go, you know, do his thing, and Hoyt would be there and go, let him in. <laughs> he was an intimidating guy. So uh, we became good friends with him. So our, our guitar player, when we're in town, goes to a demo session that Hoyt's doing. And then he invited Hoyt over to, we're, you know, we're recording an album. Hoyt comes over and he's all kind of sweaty. He'd done this, this whole uh, daytime morning show on a Saturday for uh, kids. And he had a whole bunch of songs, and it, he didn't, he couldn't sell it. So he, he you know, he, he, he parsed all of these different songs, and, he, and then here he is with this big, and I kind of rolled my eyes and went, "Holy crap!" <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and but why Jeremiah? How did why Jeremiah? <laughs> oh, I, I have no idea. Ask him. But he did the pusher. He did the pusher man. He did the right. Uh, never been to Spain. I mean, he yeah. was he's good. But you had to you had to kind of hear through it. Anyway, uh, so uh, we finally said, oh, "All right, we'll put it. Let's let's work on it." And so we worked on it. It was a lot of fun. But that was it. I th- I think we released two other singles first on the album, and then we got all of these requests from DJs all over the country saying, "Oh my God, this is you know they love it." We went, "What?" So we put it out, and it just exploded. I think it sold ten ten million singles. I just a, just were amazed, uh, and. People say, don't you get tired of singing that song? And I got to tell you, never, because I love love the audience. I mean, it, the rapport between the audience and us is, is just amazing. And to see that many people just sing along, it just it hit everybody, you know. Uh, 
You never know. You know, I think every every album we did, I think every album, the first song and the first side we thought was the single. <laughs> I don't think it ever was. It was always like, well, what's the next single? Well, they're saying old fashioned love song. What? <laughs> and we we're like this we're we're you know, we can do this funky R and B, all this stuff, and it's like, Oh God, okay. <laughs> and you get then- to love them all. The yeah, the audience decides, right? So you mentioned you mentioned old fashioned love song. I think that was on the album after Jordan. That was on Harmony. But um, who who wrote Paul that Williams. one? How did that song come together? Paul Paul Williams. Okay, yeah, Paul, Paul Williams, Williams. and I I, I, sh- I, I, I should have you know it was written by two people, uh, and uh, it, uh, it it we we would have listening sessions, so we would we would get. Uh, we would get all of these different demos. You know, some people come in and play it live, but and then we'd had we'd have the no pile, which is huge, the maybe pile, which which is less, and <laughs> then the yes, which was very small. So that ended up being one of the ones we all went, and we all went, yeah, I like it. And the only way we could do it is by all three of us singing in unison. <laughs> Everybody said <laughs> that. So that's why that song is three of us in unison. It was like, no, 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 no. Sorry. <laughs> we knew. Right. Right, right. And that same album had another huge one with Never Been to Spain. Um, oh. have, you, have you still never been to Spain or did you get after that song? Did you go? <laughs> oh, Barca, Barca, Barcelona. Yes, we were there. My wife and I were there uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, and that, that one, uh, we, we loved it. But now... It, when I when I hear it, it sounds like we're on cough syrup or something. It's so slow. We we picked up the tempo, and I think it's now it's better than it was as far as you know the groove. It's so molasses slow. Well, why do but, you think uh, you chose to do it like that back then, just to try something oh, different? Oh, no, no, just no, not trying something different. That's that was the approach then, and it it mm. worked. Uh, a steel guitar on it and and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, but I think it's it's better now. It's it, you know it's it's just it's got a better groove. It's like anything, you know. You do something, and years later you go, oh my god, I sh-, if you're reading something or you've done whatever, you say, oh I could have changed, I could have. We can. <laughs> you're doing live, you know. Live is the all all of the, all of the new techniques techniques and and what's going on with the, where you can you can film, you can do blah blah blah. Do it. You cannot replace live. You can't right. replace it. Live is live. You're on a you're on a tightrope, uh, and it, there's no other way to do it. Uh, live is just uh, it can't be replaced. As far as I'm concerned, it's a it's a different animal. Oh, absolutely. There's the energy between you and the audience that you can't replicate. Um, yeah. Well, and- yeah, we we'd be right. here all day if we go through all of your hits, but I I do want to at least mention one more for its social significance. I mean, Black and White originally recorded by Pete Seeger, but I think it was inspired by the Brown versus Board of Education. You know, the the integration Supreme Court. I had no right? idea. I, I know oh, it's sure. horrible, but uh, let me tell you, uh, you know the you know the 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 two writers, uh, Robeson, uh, I think Earl Robeson, and the other writer. Was, Ro- uh, Earl Robinson and David Arkin. I have it up in front of me. Yeah, do you know who Arkin was? Um, Alan he's Arkin's not related father. to Alan Arkin, is he? Yes, his father. Oh my God, it's his dad. And you know, you know, uh, Alan Arkin wrote Dale. He wrote what? Dale. Yeah, he was. <laughs> look it Are up. Are you kidding me? He was. No, look it the up. He was, in the, he was like in a white. He was like in one of those white uh, folk groups. Check it out. That was Alan. Oh my gosh! Yeah, you we're are, doing that. You're entirely right. The Banana Boat song, Dale. He wrote. I had no idea Alan Arkin was part of. Wrote that for Harry Belafonte. Hey, you better phone me. I'll give you. A, I know where all the bodies are buried. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I'm I'm in uh, I'm in uh, I'm in Holland, and uh, I went to this guy named Steve Barnett, who was like 18 year old, incredible promotion guy. You know what a kid. So he took me there. He ended up uh, managing ACDC and ended up being the president of Capitol Records and stuff. But wow. anyway, we go to uh, we go to Holland and uh, uh, I go get up to my room and they're still cleaning it. And I said, oh, you know what? Let me just stay in the room and I'll stay out of your way. Clean the room. They had a TV with a radio uh, going, and then I just hear the end chorus of Black and White, and I went, 
oh my God, that's a hit. I didn't know anything about the song. Uh, I go back to the States and I'm waiting, you know, three, four months. And in those days, you could you could have hits around the world. There's no internet. So a lot of songs just fell through the cracks. And after a certain point, I just said, hey, man, let's do this song. And I think the original song had 22 verses or something. It was crazy. And so, it, you know, that wouldn't work <laughs> for us. Uh, so we ended up doing what we did. When we did the basic track, uh, oh, uh, we did the basic track, and I'm saying, and the, the first day I tried one way, second day I tried, I tried the second day like uh, uh, West Indian, the, the world did back that, and, and this what I'm a white Irish guy, what am I trying to do? Right. Third day I said, if I cannot sing it, if it doesn't work, then somebody else sing it because I can't get it. And I channeled uh, uh, Gene Pitney. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've, if you listen to it, that real fast vibrato, that's that's. I'm trying to do Gene Pitney, and it, obviously, when you try to do somebody else, it, it comes out like you, and that's that's how I get through that song. Anyway, so the, uh, the man who shot Liberty Valance, that that Gene you got Pitney, it. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're uh, trying to do yeah. that. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to do that, but I had to get some kind of approach. And it, uh, you know, somebody with a fast vibrato. I mean, I listen, I'm going right. to do the seeds. You're pushing too hard. <laughs> You know, I didn't want to sound like a sheep, but uh, <laughs> anyway. nothing against him. Uh oh. Uh, but uh, that would have anyway, been a different. That would have been black sheep, white sheep. That that's a whole different. Uh, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> well, like Stevie, Stevie Nicks does like a fast vibrato too. So sure. you know, it's just that, that kind of a thing is smooth. So uh, that worked for the record, I think. The only thing that bothered me, I was sick. I was out for for a few days, and they went in, and then they put a bunch of kids on it, which all sound great. You know, uh, 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 Tommy Chong's uh, daughter's on it. You know, uh, uh, she was an you know Tommy, what's her name? Chong, the the, the actress. She was on the uh, she was in the the movie about uh, the caveman. Ray Ray Don Ray Don Chong. Right yeah, yeah. Ray, Ray was on it. Just all these kids. Uh, but I wanted a big sailor, you know, a bunch of guys, which we do now. Uh, so it, it, it's appropriate there are kids on it. But I thought, you know, I, I was, you know, I get back and I went, what? How did we do this on stage with a bunch of kids in the background uh, at every gig? So, so it infantized anyway. it a little bit more than you were envisioning. But well, in the end, yeah. Yeah, it was, it, got a, it was a little sweet, but, you know, it went to number one. And, you know, it's funny, the thing about number one, they say you went to number one. Number one, having a gold single is one thing, but having number one is is a bit of luck. Because if you have the Beatles in front of you or somebody that's got a really hot record, they might your song might be great because you might be, you might be kept number two for three weeks and then you're going back down. You never make number one, but doesn't mean you're the best. Right. What, it all depends. Know. It all depends who you're going up against, for sure. And, and I, I think it back. There's no best. You know, uh, this thing of the, about the best. What's the best? This. If you only like four songs and you think one's the best, then it's the best. Who who who's the who's the person that says what's the best? And and I, I get a little. I get a little. It's just a personal thing. I hope I don't. Uh, you know, make anybody angry. But the whole thing is the 70s, the 60s, the 50s. There was no such thing. It's a very convenient way to package uh, a time. You know, the 50s and the early 50s and the late 50s were two different animals. You know, yeah. you come out of a big band. I'm old enough. I remember a big band. And then the 60s, the early 60s, and then 64, 65 came in. And then uh, 78, you know, the 60s ended in like 72, really. And then, then, then you get, uh, then you get a singer songwriter, but then you get the disco coming in and you get the punk coming in later on all in the same year. So, you know, I managed the punk band after, you know, after I stopped for a while. So I was really, what was the punk band? Oh, fear. I was, uh, yeah, fear, you know, X. All, all, all the L.A. bands, 
the girl bands. So yeah, I, I was I was part of that whole thing. I, I knew the cramps. I mean, all all of that insane stuff. Uh, I was all I was I was part of that whole thing. So yeah, I've I. You know, people say free dog night. And I just say, no, no, you have no idea. <laughs> I had no idea when I picked up this phone. You know, I wanted to talk all your music, and I had no idea you had all this other, you know, Hollywood information at your fingertips. Oh, I mean, I, I've been around. I've been around. I, I'm not even telling you everything. I can't tell you everything. Raymond, oh, Burr, I, I remember being at the hamburger stand with Raymond. Go, no, no, Raymond. <laughs> with who? Oh, never mind. Never mind. They didn't say that. Hamburger stand with Raymond Burr, you said? Uh, oh, yeah. well, my high school, my grammar school was right there, and there was a hamburger stand. All these guys used to, you know, it was just a, a hamburger stand. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it was, you know, being a kid, imagine just a early, you know, early, early 50s, uh, mid, middle 50s, just growing up. Uh, my, I took my bu- one bus from Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, no, in grammar school from Hollywood Boulevard. Take it back. Grammar school, Hollywood Boulevard to my house. It was the only, in the canyons. It was the only canyon that had a bus service. Then in high school, I took it to, to Hollywood and Highland, and then to the transfer uh, to another to another uh, bus that went out to the valley. Uh, so uh, uh yeah it was you know different different time but but uh, uh it, it it's just fairly you you would you would know more about it or it's just a, was a innocent marvelous era Very Pat O'Brien cool on Hollywood Boulevard hanging outside and it was just, you know I'd see these character actors and they all lived off Hollywood Boulevard they were uh there's this little guy I don't know his name, but he had one of those kind of, one of those kind of voices, and he was like an evil guy. He'd be on the bus. I'd go, my God. You're not, not Peter Lorre. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's what he your was, impression uh, sounded like. <laughs> oh, well, well, that's it. Uh, he didn't have a German accent, so Got it's it. different. Got you. Well, before we run, I do want to remind our listeners, um, you know, you were, you were mentioned how the black and white songwriter's son was Alan Arkin, but your son... Uh, when it was a drummer for Haim at one point, wasn't it? Was he Dash? Absolutely, yeah. Dash is uh, yeah, he's a drummer for for a lot of people. He's uh, yeah, yeah. He know yeah. Haim for Haim. Haim, sorry, yeah. I always yeah. I always botch that. Haim. Yeah, no, I know La Haim. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's funny they were they were um, my my boys uh, were about the same age and. So that thing of like at four or five, they were playing. They were in bands. My my son Tim is our bass player now. So oh, how cool is that to tour with your son? Oh, absolutely. What happened is uh, our our guitar. Eighty two, we had our, 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 this other guy came playing guitar, and then uh, Michael decided to rejoin the band, our guitar player. So. Uh, we we just said to the our the blues guitar player we had hired we say hey you you play bass he says yeah I can play bass so he played bass for all these years and Michael just wants Michael said look I don't want to tour right now so Michael stopped our our bass player switched to to uh, to guitar and then Timmy came in playing bass and he used to he, we in the eighties. I would. I took all the kids. You know, a lot of the guys in the band, uh, Dan had kids. You know what it's like. And uh, I mean, had wives and stuff. And they all divorced. They had these, mm-hmm. tour, you know, because they were on the tour all the time. And I was a bachelor, so when I, when I had the kids, I said, I'm not going to let that happen. So we had the tour bus, and then my wife and I uh, had an RV. And we just followed the tour bus with the three kids. So they 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 were on stage, uh, backstage. You know, Beach Boys, with you know all the different groups, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, uh, stuff like that, and uh, so you know they know our bass player uh, Tim knows the bass parts better than anybody in the band because <laughs> he's <laughs> he's yeah he's been so that's what's going on. That's great. Well, man, after all these stories, I mean, how, how the 
hell are you not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? We got to get. I know you said there's no such thing as greatness, and I agree. You can't you can't rate or rank um, art. That's my least Ooh. favorite part of being a movie critic. You got to give a star rating. I mean, come on, you can't rate anything. But well, man, I, I, but I will you, say you have to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame at some point. Well, uh, let me tell you maybe one reason, but Ahmed Erdogan comes up to our house before we're signed. And uh, we do an a cappella song called It's For You on our first album, I don't know if you ever, if you listen to it, that I arranged, it was a Beatles song. And uh, he heard it and he went, I want to sign you. And uh, he said, oh, that sounds great, Atlantic Records. He says, but now Aretha did her album for uh, under $1,000. And we looked at him and said, uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so we turned him down. So... That probably you you know you you know the how how the, the Hall of Fame started. Have you ever researched it? Uh, go for it. Tell me. Uh, a woman at Atlantic, uh, a lawyer, uh, starts it as a TV you know a TV special. Okay. And it slowly morphed uh, morphed into this whole thing. And I think if you look at the early. Uh, I'm not I'm not positive, but if you look at the early people nominated, they're all like the older Ad- Atlantic uh, acts, you know, a lot of black acts, which they mm-hmm. deserve to be in it. But it was kind of heavily favored. And then and then you have just uh, you have a bunch of guys deciding uh, who's going to go in. And the critics said, oh, those guys didn't write the, 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 you know, what if, for whatever reason. Uh, You're saying and, you think it's because you didn't write your song? Is that what you said? Oh, there's a bunch well, of people that didn't write their own stuff in there. I, that's, that's a bull. That's a bull BS excuse. Not to well. <laughs> how about all the all the Motown acts that did write? I know exactly. Whatever. Exactly. Yeah, but but who knows? All I can tell you is I I I, I sincerely don't care because uh, uh, what he what he just uh, we we've had I won't mention names, but we've had uh, a number of. People in the Hall of, you know, in a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that opened for us. Right. So that you put them on the map. You put them on the map. No, no, they just, just, uh, we're still doing it. This, you know, after all these years. So uh, it's, it, you know, it's, uh, I mean, some of the people on it, it's like, uh, I don't know. It's like when I think, all right, whatever. But uh, I, I don't need to be validated by uh, some committee uh you know that's that's the thing that whatever agenda they have uh, i i don't want to get into it but you know. yeah exactly well i think what the vocal group hall of fame put you in there's been some put you in but you're right you don't need, you I don't need to... about what what's the what is this about come on who who who's anybody to say you know you not you you and it's like what are the rules wait a minute oh because what? Just you know, go away. I don't know. Yeah. The, on, the don't, only I, committee, the only committee that matters is is the audience, man. That's the only one that well, matters. I just love, I love these the people that uh, that you know. I shouldn't say it the wrong way. Where that that get a that get awards for music, uh, and I always just say, what hit records did they have? Right, <laughs> and the, you know the academies have given them awards for the for musically being, yeah, okay, uh, and uh, as I said, it, it it's uh, uh, I I just know uh, when I walk off stage, I know if if if, it, if the the audience likes this, uh, and if they if they have, that's all I'm concerned about. I understand people that go on stage. And they just want to do their thing. They say, I don't want to play the hits. I want to be fresh all the time. I want to do my thing. I want to constantly blah, 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 blah. Right, and right. that's fine. Or they, they jam groups that want to do that that are incredibly talented. And they do 12-minute songs. And that doesn't speak to me. Uh, uh, it's uh, uh, Who is the... Uh, 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 George uh, uh, played uh, Patton. Oh, George C. Scott? General. Yeah, George C. Scott. 
I remember reading a thing about him and his wife at the time, I think the divorce later, they're doing a play and they get off stage and she's just saying, yes, God damn, I want to, you know, she's talking about her thing. And he just looked, he just said to her, look, if it doesn't work for the audience, it doesn't count. It's not about you. It's about them. Uh, and that's how I feel. Uh, I'm, I'm there. I'm there. People have driven. Some of them were married to the song, went to school with the song, got engaged to the song, drove 150 miles to see us. Uh, and I'm there for them. You know, I can, I can, uh, I can do a side gig as a solo act and go to a little cafe to, to, uh, to, uh, to express myself on another level. But I'm not. I'm. I'm there for them. I'm there with Georgie Scott. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rommel, I read your book. <laughs> but uh, but no, that's. A, I I love that philosophy because you're right. People have waited and pay, paid their harder money, driven out there to the Birchmere or wherever, and especially now after this pandemic, they've waited a year and a half, almost two years to come see a They want to hear the hit. So I, I love that. I love that. That's your philosophy. And, and the food, I'm telling you, that's, I, I can't wait to always get back to it because it's, it's and there, it's a great room. There's every seat in the house. You can, and the sound and the lights, it, it's a, one of those wonderful little pockets. When I, like I said, when I, when I backstage walking down the hall to the dressing room and I see the people of the play there I always tell the agency, look, it doesn't. You know, we're doing a, we're doing ten thousand people in, in a, 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 before we do the Birchmere, and it's it's a different animal, but it's it's wondrous to be in a place that size uh, where everybody can see and you can really feel, you can feel the room. And it's I love you know bouncing around doing stuff like that, it, it, and I I can't believe. Uh, I'm doing something like that at my age, and you know, I'm, I'm 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 healthy. Knock on wood, right? I'll be 79 coming up. I weigh the same as I weighed 1971. Uh, I'm like <laughs> six, six six feet, 160 pounds, uh, and uh, you know, don't don't do sugar. You know, all you know, all of that that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, I, you know, as I said. Knock on wood. It's it's wonderful. I couldn't I couldn't be happier right now at my age. Oh, that's so great. Well, I couldn't be happier with the amount of time you gave us. You are more than generous with your time. We've gone over an hour here, so <laughs> I really really all right, agree. Right. it flew well, by. You, all right, you 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 call back. I got I'll, I'll I'll generate some more Hollywood stories if you have another angle on something. Uh, <laughs> are there any others that come to mind that you said oh, Jason should ask me that one that one's the best Hollywood story and he never even asked me <laughs> uh, no I just have to be triggered I'll just drive down you know I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I bought uh, Alice Cooper's old house I'm up at Laura Canyon and Mickey oh, nice. Dolmes is next Mickey Dolmes is next door and I just I, I was at a party with Mickey two weeks ago so he's going out on tour with uh, with Mike with Nesmith so it's funny. Uh, I know he's not next door anymore, but it's that kind of thing. The guy that did the uh, Nightmare on Elm, Elm Street, uh, Jason. Not well, that's Freddy Krueger. Yeah, Freddy. Yeah, but the actor. John, oh, Robert, Robert England. Yeah, Robert. Yeah, Robert. Robert bought his house up there because uh, we had a party on the street, and we hired like a a, a little horse and. A pony rides on the street, on a little private street. So he came up and went, oh, my God, look at this little street. <laughs> That's So we would send our kids over there on Halloween, and, <laughs> and they would freak out, you know, send them over with fudge and stuff. So, Freddy Krueger uh, liked the pony rides down through the neighborhood. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there you go. That's the we we could we could bring that stuff back. We can do a Halloween story on Freddy Krueger and the ponies. <laughs> well, anyway, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm here and and thank you so much. And uh, uh, you you do you. Do, I was going to say you do your homework, but you have your homework in your brain. You know all of this stuff about movies. It's it's incredible. Uh, 
I'll find some, of, I love some of it's in the brain, and some of this, uh, you know, when you're talking songwriters, I, I'm just googling it really fast to keep us on track. So don't give me don't give me too much credit, but I will say the movies are, are from the brain. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I love Ricky Gervais, Chappelle, you know, and marvelous uh, uh, Maisel and uh, Miss Maisel. I love that. We're, we're uh, Jane Lynch lives up the street from us. It, I don't know if you've watched that show, but Jane is is so wonderful. Uh, she's, you know, she's so sweet. She's such a nice person. And she always plays these evil, evil people. <laughs> and she's, she's got another house now up north. With, uh, my wife has horses and her and her, her girlfriend have horses. So it's, uh, it's, it is what it is. Man, you, you know, every, I feel like this is, this is uh, once upon a time, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood with with <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm an old guy, so you know that's that's what I, that's what happens. Oh, but uh, hopefully, I'll stay healthy. I I, I don't ever want to retire. To, uh, um, you know, I, I as long as I, I I don't get brought down by that, uh, I want to just stay out there and do it. It's just a wonderful wonderful thing to do. Yeah. Well, how do you want to be remembered? You're never going to retire, but how do you want to be remembered when when it's all said and done? Uh, uh, my tombstone would be, uh, enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> perfect, perfect place to leave it later than you think. Um, Danny Hutton, uh, founder and lead singer of three dog night. Um, he's in Annapolis right now, but by, by the time this interview runs, I'd probably be promoting the Birchmere show in Alexandria. Virginia on Saturday. So, Danny, thank you so much for, for joining us and giving us so much time and so many great stories. This is priceless. All right. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.